Welcome to the Push Performance Podcast. Welcome, guys, to episode 60 of Push Performance Podcast. It's been a long while, long time coming. Nick and I have been talking about doing a podcast, haven't had time, but we have time now. Dr. Nick Thurlow. Spring, spring train is upon us. We have all kinds of time now. It's great. Sleep in a little bit more. Sir. So what's going on in your world, Nick? Oh, you know, just uh, getting to that time of year where, um, you know, it, we joke about it every year, but it is officially TJ season. Um, it's particularly at the high school level, at the collegiate level. Um, I just had a phone call last night from a frantic mother whose son felt a pop during tryouts. Um, so it's just kind of that time of year. So um, I think we decided today we kind of wanted to kind of talk TJ a little bit. I think that's uh, a very hot topic I've been noticing around, unfortunately, on yeah, social yeah. media right now. That's us, a couple other people doing podcasts and right. videos and whatnot. But I think we have a cool, different approach with the way we do things. I, I like to say we're pretty aggressive on it within reason. Yeah, I mean, I've obviously like respecting tissue timelines and things like that, but um, I mean, obviously, lots of great content out there on UCL reconstruction and, and repair and protocols. I mean, there's lots of guys that have tons of research out there that have been doing it for many more years than I have, and they do a great job with it. But um, I think what we specifically wanted to talk about today was, you know, we talk about bridging that gap between like rehab and performance. And I was listening to a, a fantastic podcast the other day. Uh, Mike Reinold uh, does a good job with you know research and data, and you know works with some of the best surgeons in the, in the country. And, um, Jeff Dugas was on there talking about you know the, the the new UCL repairs and how we've shortened timelines and all that stuff. And it's funny because we hear all these great podcasts and all these great you know see all these great articles, and the weight room gets missed in every one of them. You know, it's it's very much so glanced over. Um, I think PTs, our, our profession as a whole, does a, a pretty shit job on like being able to kind of, you know, know what's supposed to be going on in the weight room and communicate with trainers. And um, I was joking with, T, with DJ and I was like, man, it seems like we just jump from like pushups to one handed plyos and there's no, no talk in between. And all of a sudden we're on a throne mm -hmm. program. So I think we were going to kind of touch base a little bit today on kind of our approach in the weight room and how we communicate um, around those like kind of you know, the eight week mark, the 10 week mark, the 12 week mark, and just the, the different things we do in the weight room. Yeah. hundred so. percent. Um, you know, we were joking the other day in our staff meeting that, you know, the weight room is the side that gets pushed away most, right. Where, you know, nobody gives a shit about the strength staff, but they care about the throwing side. Mm -hmm. They care about the hitting side, healthy or not. Right. And then underneath that even is the physical therapy, like the strength and the physical therapy side when you're healthy mm -hmm. is forgotten about. It's always just go, go, go right. in, in, in the game of baseball or the sport you're in. You see it in girls soccer, right? Mm -hmm. You see it in AAU basketball. You see it in all these other sports where these kids just play, 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 and then they're, they're hurt, and then what do they do? They're, they weren't in a weight room. They weren't in a structured weight room or a strength program, excuse me. They don't have a reliable physical therapist because they weren't seeing them for precautionary reasons, right? So – I think number one thing is like realizing how important of having your strength staff and a PT staff behind you when you are healthy is, is to, to having success that you have. And then when you, when you do get hurt, cause it's going to happen, let's be honest, right? You can't prevent injuries. We always talk about that. We used to joke around like that. Everybody says injury prevention, right? It's injury reduction. Okay. So having a staff like, 
you know, a next error or a push in your back pocket is going to only increase your, you know, your ability to get back on the field as fast as you can. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, a perfect example of it was last night it was when, a, you know, the mom's reaching out to me saying, hey, we're going to the ER. I'm like, in the back of my mind, I'm like, what the hell is the ER going to do with your elbow? Like, they don't know what the hell they're looking at. They're going to do an x-ray of it because it's right then and there. They're going to make sure it's not broken. They're going to, you know, in this case, they put them in a sling and said, all right, we're going to get you set up with an orthopedic surgeon. And then, you know, from there, it's like, all right, you see the next best orthopedic surgeon, which, um, you know, depending on where you live at, there's only one or two guys that are really worth a damn with UCL um, reconstruction repair. Um, you know, so it's like if you're in this frantic kind of mode of like, I need to go see somebody, I need to figure it out. Like, we're the first line of defense. I mean, DJ had a guy just this past month that, you know, unfortunately came to him with some elbow issues and DJ referred him over to me and, like I knew right away it was UCL. We got the MRI within two days, had our answer within three days, you know? So, um, you know, working with people that experience and like have the connections and, and know the right people. And, you know, this, this guy tried to uh, get in with, you know, the Diamondbacks ortho here and we have a good relationship with them. And initially it was like, Oh, you're, you're booked out till I think it was like end of March. And then, you know, it's, they say, Oh, well, next era, Nick Thurlow referred me and he's in that week. So, you know, having good resources and good communication with people is key. And just having an understanding of, you know, where, where you can go with it is crucial. Clout, bro. That was, Clout. That was a little small flex. I've <laughs> <laughs> only lived here since September, but whatever. Anyways, um, transitioning. Transitioning. steps. So, so, no, I, I, think, I think something that I wanted to talk about, like, off of that is, like, diagnosis and, and prognosis of, like, UCL, right? Yeah. So. Um, there's lots of things that have changed. Um, I remember my first UCL was probably, I'll, I'll never forget the guy. Um, you know, it was probably about 10 ish years ago. Kid was 14 years old. Um, you know, we rehabbed him together. Actually, that was my first UCL. And at the time I look back on like how I approached that. And at the time, that's how they did things. And now fast forward, you know, 10, 11 years later, stuff's game changed. I mean, it's so much better than what it used to be, but it's still so left behind. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we're still using, you know, protocols from, you know, a bunch of smart guys that sat in a room back in the eighties and, you know, they did a really good job. And I think that for the most part, um, they nailed down most of it, but again, most protocols, you know, you get the week eight, week 10 and the weight room gets forgotten. So, um, but I guess you want to talk about like diagnosis a little bit and like kind of where we're at on that, like how you see things that, you know, guys are missing in the weight room and, Pre, pre, yeah, like pre, yeah, pre or post op. Uh, let's go pre op. Sorry, let's, let's go on. A, let's go on a journey here. Let's go, yeah, I think yeah. we'll start pre op. Let's go pre op. So, number one thing that I see obviously, everybody's going to say this is workload management, right? Um, managing that workload and then knowing when to taper, when to add, and when to subtract different, different things. A lot of times, the weight room is subtracted in season. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the number one thing right where that that piece of the puzzle is what holds the puzzle together which is your body and not uh, that was really good that was deep bro that was really good (laughs) i just made that up (laughs) um you know that that piece of the puzzle is your body right where if you don't have that last piece where your where your body is ready to rock and roll for let's say seven months eight months right you're going to break down, you're going to break down, you're going to break down and eventually get hurt. Um, you know, you got, how long is the major league season or a high school season or how many, you got club ball, you got um, high school ball, 
right? You have all these different showcases you're doing. Let's mm-hmm. talk about high school stuff right now um, or youth stuff. Okay. We're seeing, unfortunately, we do have a lot of youth kids coming to us injured where, you know, they're playing a weekend, turning on the weekends, practicing in the week, throwing bullpens with no structure. They're, you know, catching and pitching the same time. Um, so same game, excuse me, or even back-to-back games. And then the next game going to play short or third because the better athletes are going to throw more, period, right? So, you know, just mitigating those different workloads is number one. But, like, going back to the body piece, if you're not taking care of your body year-round throughout that process, you're just going to break down. Strength is depleted, you know, within 30 days of not using it, right? At, at, at the most, that's the highest end. So throughout the 30 days, you're slowly decreasing your strength and your stability. Power output, like I've said in the previous podcast, is like three to five days, right? You lose a lot of power output um, throughout the course of the year if you're not training every three to five days on even just submaximal sprints. Where I say submaximal, I mean less than less than 100%, like 95% is submaximal, right? We're still getting adaptations at 95%. Right. So you're not losing that power output per se um, throughout the course of the year. So we want our guys to be sprinting. We want our guys to be lifting. Um, we want to have those different check marks where you're getting your post throws in, where you're regaining ranges of motion. You're getting on the ground or crawling. We're going pelvic, pelvic and thorax relationships. You're doing certain things to stay on the field throughout the whole year. And a lot of times that's just thrown in the garbage just because of lack of time when really it's just lack of priorities, right? I'm not making a priority to get into the gym. I'm just going to use, I don't have the lack of time, right? You know, I don't have time. Practice starts. Well, bro, we're open till 9 p.m., 6, 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. in Colorado, right? Like you're telling me you can't, your ass can't get in there. It's, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be nice about it, but like you can't get your ass out of bed and be there before school or you can't go in after school. Then people bitch about homework. Well, yeah, do it before or after school. You know what I mean? So it's just kids have off periods now too. Like they, they go to school a quarter of the day. Period. Yeah, exactly. They go to school a quarter of the day, where it's literally just not a priority to them, right? I, I was joking the other day in our team meetings, like like I said earlier, that skill size is what fucking matters. It's you know guys want to hit with Chris Dunn in Colorado, right? They they want to throw with Andrew here, right? They want to hit with our hitting guys here, right? They don't they don't really care about getting in the weight room. You know, put that as a priority, you know, first and foremost. That's the major issue where we're not building structure. We're not building um, stability. We're not building um, holding strength, which we're holding stability, right? We got it. We got it. In order to have stability, you need to have strength, right? In order to have power, you need to have strength. Strength is the foundation of all movement. So losing that strength throughout the course of the year, that power output's going to decrease, which is going to expose tissue, which is going to expose Ranges of motion, which will increase injury. Long rants, done, over. (laughs) I think, too, like to go along with the time thing, it's, you know, the other pushback, I think, and understandably so, right? Like things cost money. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that I kind of like to look at it is if you have this big piggy bank of money and you're putting it towards all these different things, again, the priority typically goes towards the throwing coaches and the hitting coaches, which is great, but if you're, you know, if you can't touch your toes and you can't, you know, deadlift your body weight, but you're going to a pitching coach, like, what are you getting out of that? Um, you know, for me to be able to put somebody underneath, a, you know, put put them underneath a microscopic lens and look at all their little movement tendencies and then go and coordinate with their throwing. That's why it's so great here. Like, 
if Andrews tried to get a guy to a position and he just physically can't do it because he doesn't have that movement pattern, I can fix that. You can reinforce it, and then you go throw it. But, well, again, even, the cost well, is like, oh, that, that that's a cost. That's what's not even better, it. though, is that, say, kids comes and signs up for throwing with us, they're going to do a pre-screen <laughs> with you before they even get to the mound to, to put, you know, hey, there's a red flag. Hey, we'll save your money on the throwing side and get in the strength program. Mm-hmm. Dump it into the PT side of things right now, right? Like let's let's catch it before it's too late. Yeah, I think like when it comes to cost, like long term cost, right? Like yeah, it's a hell of a lot cheaper to you know spend six eight weeks in a you know a structured strength program and you know do three four sessions of like prehab so to speak than it is to go through a full fourteen months of T day rehab. So um, you know I think that cost becomes this barrier, and we always talk about like what's the value, what's the cost? Well, the value like parents typically value players value getting on a track man and getting that data they don't they they view us as a cost straight up so um yeah i mean i think and then i guess it hurts so bad yeah yeah but you know like (laughs) at the end of the day like i don't want to see guys hurt period like i mean i'm very passionate about tj rehab take a lot of pride in how we do it but i don't like having to do it especially when it's guys that did it the right way and, and unfortunately that happens so um, you talked about the strength side and like, you know, the indicators for, you know, I guess what's going to cause TJ and like not being in the weight room. I think that from just like a pure motion standpoint or just, you know, breaking down like the kind of indicators for TJ that I see, um, we talk about like the opposite side, yeah, opposite side neck rotation is a big one. Why is that? Um, so if you're looking at just kind of how the neck moves, we're just talking about this with the guy earlier is if you think about like what's something that I can uh, have a guy do, I can have them look left, look right. If they're a right-hand thrower and they look to the left and they're jammed up there, you know, that's indicative of what their scaps doing. It's indicative of what their thorax is doing and their pelvis, but it's just like a nice, easy, like they can feel that, right. They can look over their left shoulder and be like, oh, that's tight. Right. It even goes as far as compression expansion patterns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Right? Your spine is going to rotate to the side. It's going to expand or compress. And that shows you right there where you need to, you know, create more space per se in that, in that range of motion. Yep. So, I mean, you know, to, and so like I said, to go along with that, you got the, the normal scat patterns. So we talk about the things that happen with high volume and, um, you know, things that occur throughout the season These guys are gaining all of this external rotation from throwing and ramping up and, you know, plyo balls and, you know, all that other fun stuff. And, you know, at the end of the day, like if they create all this external rotation, their stability sucks then the elbow has to work that much harder. Um, and on the flip side of that, they're going to lose that internal rotation. So like, these are easy checks that I try to teach, you know, even our young kids, like, you know, land your back, see what your shoulder ERI are like. If those are feeling jammed up, time to rethink where you're at with stuff. Um, overhead flexion is another one. Again, like you said, the scapulo uh, humeral rhythm. Um, I think the underlooked one, though, is the ipsilateral pelvis, right? Yes. So... You know, we have guys come in and they lay on their backs and they do a straight leg raise and they're 20 degrees short on their throwing side versus their landing leg. You know, that's a big indicator for what the pelvis is doing. If the pelvis ain't working, then everything up chain is going to be compromised. So, um, you know, I think those are things that when guys come in or, or, or dudes that come in regularly, say once a month or twice a month, those are the first things we check right off the bat. The guys that are consistent in the weight room, guess what? They move a little bit better. Guys that aren't. They don't move as, as well, and they're a little bit more at risk for the uh, the other stuff. So. What what? This is an honest question. I don't, cause I don't know. What do you think goes through a kid's mind 
after they throw, they pitch, right? The coach makes them run some poles or do whatever the bullshit they have to do. And they do nothing. Like, how logical is that? That you're not getting on a PT table recapturing range of motion. You're not getting yeah. in a weight room recapturing range of motion, right? How does that physically go through somebody's head throughout the course of the year? After a start, you're playing shortstop, you take, you know, 20 swings on the day, you have some sprints, you, you have four or five throws, max effort, right? Die for some balls. You know, how how is recovery so lost now? How is this? Like, now you're going to run to a massage gun or these the compression boots, right? That's what they're going to do, mm -hmm. but they're not going to go to you know, what? I, I don't know. So I, I, this is how I make my money, obviously. And this is why it's not I, even that hard, right? Like no, the information's you know, out there. And, you yeah. know, we're not saying you need to, you know, come in and be reliant on like dry needling every two weeks, but do a, do some recovery stuff, you know, yeah. do, do something. Do something. I feel like you made a um, point earlier. It starts with the coach. Yeah. Like if the coach is like, oh, you know, you're good, whatever. But then the ones who really care and like you should see, a, you know, kind of that educational aspect. Just, yeah. just from an outsider's point of view. I think parents too, right? Like, yeah, parents. I mean, I don't know. My dad would be like, put some dirt on it and get out there and go. I mean, I think it just kind of depends on on that part of it. I think cost is another one. Um, mm -hmm. But we, we know the kids that want it and the ones that don't. And the ones it, Look at the kids that are consistent. Look where they're ending up. Mm -hmm. You know, like how many guys through yesterday that we worked with as freshmen in high school. And like, what were their routines at that age? I mean, it, it pays off. So again, we talk about you're talking about a pro pro game. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we had guys like, how old's uh, RJ now? Twenty three. Twenty three. You know, and started when he was thirteen with us. Yeah, and it's just like to see guys like that that invested all the time and, and effort and money and everything, and like, look where he's at now. Like, he's got a shot to crack the roster opening day. You know, mm -hmm. so. Um, I don't know. I think the, like the, the the information's out there, so it's not it's not that. Um, I just think it's the state of where kids are. Like, do they truly want it? Like, if, if you're telling me, like, I had everything at my fingertips, all you literally have to do is open up Instagram. You have everything there that you wanted from a hitting drill, a throwing drill, a, some kind of strength pattern, some kind of PT, some kind of anything right there is free. And some might be bullshit. Some majority is probably pretty damn good if it has mm -hmm. a lot of looks at it, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of views. So, I mean, the fact, I think it's just the fact that the kids nowadays want to go do other things too, mm -hmm. you know, and parents are okay with that. Mm -hmm. And they, they, I, we saw it over COVID, you know, kids, have, their mindset has changed a little bit. I'm not blasting anybody here. This is not directed at anybody, but, you know, it's got on its truth. It's just, there's more excuses nowadays. Yeah. This is what the, what the issue is. Yeah, and I mean, we've been fortunate to, like, especially in Colorado, but we had, you know, we had three Arizona high schools, and, you know, we, we did, we next era did 16 high schools in Colorado this year, and, you know, it's funny to me, and, and I get it, like, we've all been there, but the amount of guys that are just there to be there, and just, like, ball with the boys, and, like, be a part of it, team environment, great. If you're going to do that, though, like, at least take care of yourself, yeah. you know, get, get, get the and information and use it. And right? that's something I forget about, too. Dalton's raising his hand. <laughs> it's something I forget about, too, though. It's like, I want it so bad for myself to be great and move up to the next level. I forget about the people that just want to play baseball yeah. and have fun. Like, I, to me, it's like that, that never existed, mm -hmm. right? And I don't know why. I just don't have that mindset. Like, same thing in business. Like, cool, I have a business. What's next? You know, it's like, it's, 
what can we do to be great? What can we do to be great? What can we do to be great? From a hi, Dalton, intern. Um, <laughs> uh, from hello, like from a PT's perspective and a strength coach perspective, we're talking a lot about TJ and rehab, um, prehab. If you have an athlete that plays multiple sports, is there a time of the year, a season, in which you should prioritize getting back in touch with your body, building those strength and power numbers? Like if you say, like let's say you have a basketball, baseball player, is there a few months that that player should prioritize getting back in touch with their body throughout the year? year? All year. It's a year-round. It's a year-round process. Year process. Um, it's cool. a harder question to answer because there's not a lot of those guys out there anymore. Like everybody's, you know, dialing in on one sport. Um, I could think of one guy we have in Colorado that um, I just reached out to him this past week and said, like, "Hey, bro, like, where you been? Like, I was just checking in." And this guy, um, I know he's gonna play collegiately. I can't remember where off the top of my head, but he's like, "Yeah, I've been in basketball." I'm like, all right, cool, that's great. Like, how's your list been? you're not doing your lifts okay cool now we're rolling into spring tryouts all right great um where are we at with the arm i've been focusing on basketball so i think you just like again it's a time priority thing right like you can do two sports at once you can, you yeah. can do three sports at once but you better be able to prioritize doing them all the right way i think yeah. if you're half-assing cody, one of them cody hughes wrote a good article i don't know if you know what that is he's a strength coach on twitter i just pulled it up um actually it's a it might even be a podcast but multiple sports isn't always the answer it's a five-minute Monday rant by him. Um, give that a listen. It's pretty good. But in short, like year-round playing is – I said that a long time ago or a couple weeks ago. You know, there's a difference between year-round playing and year-round development, right? So development to me is developing the body, attacking my weaknesses, increasing my strengths, right? If basketball is taking away from – my let's just say just simple example vert right i'm trying to jump higher which probably is not going to happen in basketball if you're jumping a lot but um you know if if it's taking away from my absolute goal is it a good idea that i do it right if you love to play the game like okay put in a different aspect i played basketball in high school because i love playing basketball knew i wasn't going to play the next level right so i guess i I just you know kind of answered my own question Going back to what I said, but um, you know, for me in baseball was always doing the next thing, right? So basketball was just to put ball out with the boys, have fun, you know, do all those different different aspects of the team environment and doing all those fun different things. But I was still in the cage every day, right? I was still taking ground balls every day. I was still, you know, doing my my throwing program every single day, right? So it's just a matter of priority versus you know wanting it and not wanting it kind of thing i think communication is another part of that too you see a lot of guys that the ones that let's say you are uh you know playing basketball and you're in the weight room doing the basketball lifting program um don't drop off on your baseball stuff too and on top of that um communicate with your coach and be able to kind of let your coach know like hey these are the lists i'm doing right now i need to prioritize these because i'm i have to in order to you know play basketball um, but don't just drop all the important stuff off that is relative to your ultimate goal or like what you really want to do, right? So, um, to answer your yeah. question, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
perfect. That's what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> Keep them coming. This is easier um, to answer questions. I think yeah. something too that I was going to touch on. So like we we talked about the like all right, all right, the crap that like may or may not cause TJ. There's lots of stuff out there. It, it's I don't know. It's all over the place. But we we do know there's some common factors. I want to talk about like the actual diagnosis of it and like. One big thing that I'm seeing, and it's happened organizationally with like pro teams, um, it's happened collegiately in like high schools, is the new way of ordering MRIs. That's mm-hmm. something that um, really within the last year-ish, they're, you know, we're able to order MRIs a little bit differently. Um, shout out, plug, PTs can order imaging. Don't go to the ER to get an MRI. It's going to cost you a crap ton more. Um, but anyways, um, they're doing what's called a fever MRI. You've heard about that right now. You work at a PT shop. So um, essentially, you know, they're ordering imaging in a wide bore MRI. So it's just a wider tunnel so that they can actually put guys in layback and really gap the elbow because there's so many. We had a guy this year uh, to get an MRI on his elbow and it was clean, came back, tried to throw. They ordered the take two weeks later, ordered the MRI in a different position. And there was a partial tear in there. And then they get in for the surgery and it's, you know, it's completely obliterated. So. Um, you know, just because your MRI says there's nothing going on, you know, always consider, hey, what position did they order it in? I think this comes back to go to somebody who works with throwers. Um, if you go to a general orthopedist, they might not even know about this stuff yet. It's new. Um, so being able to order in that fever position is crucial. Um, you know, Dr. Wazowski down here, he will not even look at an MRI unless it's in that fever position. So, you know, again, comes down to like, go to the right person and make sure you get the right information so that you're not doing a six week, you know, shutdown and then a six to eight week on ramp. And all of a sudden it was torn the whole time and we didn't know about it. So um, i trying to think on other like diagnosis type things. Diagnosis wise. I was like, I mean, the flexor mass is just so damn tight on, I mean, that's on UCL. It's 95% like a, of yeah. the time. It's like a check engine light, kind of your warning mm-hmm. signal of. But then also we had a guy with a flexor mass tear, a catcher, right? Mm-hmm. So knowing the difference between the two, like we were able to say, hey, like, no, this isn't for T, this is not need for TJ. We have a flexor issue. Right. So that's going back to his point and go somewhere where they can rehab a thrower, right? put him in positions to test it, feel it, monitor it, mirror it, image it, whatever it may be. Right. And, you know, then we can address, you know, the kinematics of the reasoning. Right. And we can address the weight room. And I've seen, I mean, I think the, unfortunately there's younger and younger guys getting, you know, you having UCL issues. Um, if you're 14, 15 years old, and this is no disrespect to anybody's profession, but if you're 14, 15 years old and you're still going to a pediatrician to get a diagnosis for a possible UCL issue, go to an orthopedic surgeon that dedicated his career to working on elbows. Um, we've seen so many uh, really, really good pediatricians essentially just shut guys down for six to eight weeks only to have them ramp back up and ultimately get UCL reconstruction. Um you know, and it's like, you got to look at the timeline too, right? You know, a lot of times it's kind of like, when should I get TJ? A lot of it's based on where you're at career-wise and school-wise and, and all that stuff. And, um, you know, I can't help but wonder, like, if, if it's January, February, when we normally see all these things pop up, but you waited until March, April, May to take care of it because you didn't see the right person to start. And all of a sudden you just missed the next year's summer season because you weren't ready. 
and that could be huge if you're, you know, say you're a junior, junior year, senior, or junior going into senior year, and you just miss summer because you got a bad diagnosis. So um, that, that kind of stuff matters for sure. Piggyback on that, I don't know. Anything else on that? No. I don't know. I think I think we can skip over the whole like TJ itself. There's lots. That's, that's yeah, not of our that's, scope. Yeah, we I'm not a surgeon. We don't do we don't do the surgery. You know, check out. There's so much good info out there right now. Um, uh, one thing pre-surgery: get as strong as possible before. Strong as possible, and a lot of guys come in lacking elbow extension just because of the nature of the injury. Um, you know, if you can spend two to three weeks prior to really work on that range of motion, get that range of motion back um, so that you go into surgery. With... How, do you re- how do you regain elbow extension, Dalton? How do I regain? No, just in general in the weight room. What would you do to recapture elbow extension? Uh, I would do all simple exercise. Simple exercises. Like push what? Ups. What if it hurts, though? If it just blew out. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, I, I think that like all your, you know, banded gapping, mobilization, yeah. stuff like that, uh, weighted yeah. ISOs, carries. You can put them into different positions for tricep extensions, right? Trap bar deadlift walks, just holding and walking. That's a more, we'll get to that point. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I like <laughs> recapture as much of that range of motion as you can. Uh, there's a reason why surgeons wait a little bit for swelling to go down and, and things of that nature so that, you know, they can come in with optimal range of motion. So when they come out, it's not a lot of work for me. Yeah. Um, I like to see guys two, three times. Um, I think the, regardless of what is going on physically, I think having that, you know, that sit down with your athlete to tell them what the next year and a half is going to look like for them is huge too. Um, in particular, yeah, get away from the initial shock meeting one. Yep. Meeting two is still your somewhat initial shock. All right, now I'm confused. And then number three is like, all right, we have a. Yeah, this is how we're going to tag it. We, this is what we're yeah. going to do. And, and bring your parents to those meetings, too, if yeah. you're a high school or, or even a college kid, right? So, um, but I think just having that game plan ahead of going into surgery, because what's the number one question we get on TJ's, even like pre-op? When, when can I start, can I start throwing? It's like, bro, when, do you, when can you start, like, sleeping on that side again? You know, like, let's let's start with Not, the small hey, When can I get first. in the weight room? Yep. Or, you know, which is actually two weeks after, which in fact, once the infection is gone, Get your ass back in the way. Infection risk. Is risk. Gone. Sorry, sorry. You don't want. You hopefully you don't want to have an infection. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Once the infection, infection risk yeah. is mitigated, then you can get back in the way. Yeah, I think that's crucial too. Like, yeah, week two. Yeah. You know, expect. It depends on the surgeon, but like, expect to be in. You know, some sort of splint for the first seven to ten days. Depends on you know who did the surgery. Um, but you know, like you you walk into uh, Dr. Elitrash uh, for the Dodgers. And he's notorious for just like taking your elbow and just crushing it into elbow extension. And he does, he has no feelings on any of that stuff. He does not care. That's why his scars are five miles long. Um, but one of the, <laughs> one of the best to ever do it. Right. You know, and the, uh, you know, the extension component, again, it comes back to like, where were we at pre-op? You know, can we, can we optimize that ahead of time? But yeah, I mean, we got guys in the weight room week two, you know, you're in there, you're in your brace and, you know, we're smart enough to, to keep you out of, you know, bad positions. So I forgot the medical term or scientific term, but let's say you're doing a one-arm row with your left arm, you're riding a thrower. Your brain's smart enough not to allow your body to atrophy as much on that right side, right? So we want to get that. So you want to get that left arm moving. So your brain thinks that right arm is moving as well. So you're not completely atrophying that right side of the body, right? So allowing for time just to you know even though we're not chasing ranges of motion yet strength stability 
um, all the, you know, all those different things in that elbow quite yet over there on the right side, we're still, still able to do movements in the weight room, repattern, repattern things. This is my, my time where I want to have chase, you know, hip mobility, where I chase hip extension, where I want to chase, you know, clean up some cervical rotation stuff with Nick is going to probably talk about because you're slouch, like, you know, can't see me because I'm in the microphone, but slouch, you know, with your right arm, right, um, ear to your right shoulder. Right in a sling, your short shoulders going forward. It's gonna be like a four-hour um, podcast. But I know it's fine. <laughs> I did think of a question real quick. Uh, as far as like TJ goes, I know that there's a um, procedure that they do where they flip the ulnar nerve. Oh, uh, they just move it. Yeah, yeah. Where they just move it. Is that partial TJ? Like, is that an indicator for future TJ issues potentially? Like. Can an athlete who had that avoid TJ by re-strengthening some of those patterns? So like if they had a transposition, are they more at risk for TJ? Is that what you're right. Saying? Uh, not necessarily. Not yeah. necessarily. I mean, that, that could be a whole other podcast is the amount of like ulnar nerve issues that we've been seeing oh, as yeah. far as just like snapping ulnar nerves and things like that. Me personally. Um, <laughs> Both bilateral. Yeah, there's, there's, there's yeah. a lot that goes into that, but no, not, not necessarily. I don't, you're not at risk for at, all, at all. I would say, I don't know, it shouldn't say at all. If you have surgery, you have surgery. Right. Um, but just to say like, Hey, if I get an ulnar nerve transposition am I at higher risk of getting TJ, I'm not aware of anything that says that, but I think if you take care of yourself the right way, you know, you should be okay. Um, that being said, I think that it's important to, if like, if you've got a guy that has like a snapping ulnar nerve prior to having TJ, they should just move the damn thing. Like, I don't want to have them have to go back in month 16 because they're having ulnar nerve issues. Um, and again, if you go to a surgeon that's that familiar that. with working with throwers, then you're going to be able to have that conversation ahead of time. Um, the guy that we have having TJ next week, I said, you make damn sure that he moves that ulnar nerve because it snaps all the damn time. And after surgery, I don't want to, have to deal with this. You know, let's just get it out there in there. One surgery, get it out of the way. Um, and then it makes programming a lot easier too, with like your pressing variations. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. And I, I would say too, like the, the kind of piggyback off what you were saying with the full body, like how many, how many people? You, I mean, I can think of one particular big leaguer right now that we're working with that we're cleaning up a little bit of a mess. Um, he's in a really good spot now, but when we first started with him, the PT was doing no lower body work at all as far as just like patterning and, and movement. Um, trunk was a disaster. Uh, just baseline level stuff that almost seems second nature to us, but when you're working with somebody that's only focused on the protocol, which is the elbow and scap, it's... It, when you ask like what where are you at with your TJ rehab, it's two arm plyos. Next week I start one arm plyos and then three weeks after that I throw. Oh, okay. Sick. Yeah. Let me so see like, your let me see your push up. Yeah. How are you moving? Let me see. So we got you know, force plates, right? Get them on the force plate, discrepancy with push-ups, squat variations, jumps variations, just seeing where his asymmetries are. Um, you know, just like that alone tells us a story. But just knowing what we know from previous surgeries, we needed to clean up a lot of stuff, which, you know, we did. I can't remember. How did we how did we attack that assessment day one with that? That was like more of a reassessment, obviously. Yeah, but. I mean, we kind of had the advantage of working with them. But I think it's knowing your tissue timelines and knowing it's okay to do these things to, to check them out, to test them. So, like, we um, kind of jump ahead a little bit, but, like, 
you know, we put him right into push-up variations and you had him trap bar to kind of see where he was at and pelvis is all over the freaking place. And it's like, oh, but you're, you're close to throwing. Great. That's a great idea. But you haven't done one single deadlift variation. Let's that's ever. great. Yeah, that's going into this. Like, I know it's what we were planning on talking today before we got a lot of sidetracks. Um, you know, it's one of our one of our protocols that we've come up with over the years is like, I need to see grip, right? Mm -hmm. I need to see through a hang position and then an eccentric chin up before you throw. It has to be done. You have to properly yeah. do six to eight proper, slow eccentric chin ups. Jump up there, slow five second count down, jump back up. Okay. I don't care if you pull yourself up. Then we're going to go into a fat, fat grip trap bar carry. To, right. to back you up a little bit, the the timeline on those, right? right. Yep. So um, most TJ protocols will say, hey, push-ups, week eight, let's do it. And I'm like, all right, cool. Let's do some crawling patterns first. Mm -hmm. Could we do some crawling patterns and just, just so different? shifting, just like quadru yeah. so quadruped yeah. shifts. Yeah, quadruped shifts and, and things a little bit earlier before we just jump right into push-ups. Um, so uh, like we usually around that like week six to eight mark, like bear crawl patterns, um, just a lot of different quadruped work. Uh, variations, things like that, before we do our push-ups. And even prior to that, we were doing different press variations at a, at a lighter weight with you know bands. small bands and things like that. The Kaiser is great for that because you mm -hmm. can it's air pressured, so you can control the weight throughout, it's right. constant throughout. And then you know you typically like I love bear crawl stuff around like crawling patterns around week eight, and then I get in my push-ups around week ten. Some people might be like, oh, like, but you know, Doctor So and So's protocol said I could do push-ups at week eight. Yeah, okay, cool, like. You haven't done any weight bearing whatsoever before that. Um, so you can introduce though, like uh, a banded push up, like a, you're just laying on a band and band assisted. Yeah. And you can control tempo, hmm. all yeah, that kind eccentric of stuff. load. Yeah, just really controlling that. And then then you can really focus on, all right, look at his elbow extension, right? What that whole time, like as he comes up and see if he's going too far, too less, where he's at, where his weight's on his hand, if he's, if he's going, you know, thumbs going inward, he needs more external rotations, outward, he needs more internal rotations if it's not balanced. So you can kind of really see in that initial push-up assessment what he really needs to be chasing off the PT table. Because, you know, Nick's on the PT table for three minutes, and after that, it's all gravity-based, right? All assessments, majority of assessments need to be gravity-based because the way gravity works, it pulls you down, right? So table's doing that for you. So, sorry. Oh, you're good. Um, and then to, for the chin-up stuff, uh, usually on like week 12, we start introducing those like eccentric chin-ups and hangs and things like that. So at the same time, we'll do the deadlifts. Which like rewind a little bit. Let's look at a protocol from a like a baseline protocol from a surgeon, right? Like week week 12, they're just like weight room stuff. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a billion of them like do stuff in upper body, continue upper body strengthening, but there's just no guidance there. And your, your PT is going to go and do your throwers 10 variations and all your other, you know, scat things. It's like, all right, great. It's cool and all, but like, what about the whole body? So we'll um, that though. a lot of times scat patterns are lost too, right? It's just more focused on external rotation, yeah. internal rotation, right? They're not getting in horizontal abduction, right? At all. They're getting. They're not. They're not doing rhythmic staves in that position. They're not getting the scap to go along with the with the humerus, right? That's where those crawling variations are important, right? That's where some decel deceleration catches are important, right? Allowing those. That's the thing about patterns versus muscles, right? You want to think about muscles obviously in the rehab, but patterning the way you throw, 
Patterns over parts all day long. Exactly. And why and why did that injury happen? It's probably because there's a broken there's a chain being broken in that in that pattern, right? So um giving them positions that they need to be good at, back to you know, this their their goal is to return the throw. If it was just a you know, Ashton getting UCL surgery, do we really need to focus on D cell catches? Probably could do them, but don't need to, right? Do you agree? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think along with that too, something I just kind of forgot about was like blood flow restriction training. Like, dude, I got guys on BFR four days out. Like as long as that, as long as that incision's looking nice and you know, it's, it's coming along nice. I've seen a draft. I'm going to, I'm going to swear to God, we're going to put a study together on this one day when I have you know time when I'm not running businesses and employees and everything else. I've seen a drastic reduction in that kind of month nine to 12 kind of flexor tendinopathy when guys are like really ramping up and I a hundred percent attribute that to doing BFR training, like week three. Is that BFR training throughout though? Throughout though, throughout as well, but like hitting it early, hitting it early and often to be able to kind of, when you're not able to load that tissue and maybe get into those like loaded wrist extension positions, which wrist extensions always overlooked guys focus on the elbow and not the wrist, but they're taking the damn graft from the wrist. Um, you know, being able to kind of load early with, with the BFR is, is super key. Um, what's the BFR for people who don't know? Blood flow restriction. So, um, there's a ton of research out there for ACL reconstruction, but not as much for, for UCL, but essentially it's a personalized tourniquet. We've got a 6,000, a couple $6,000 machines. I had a guy come in today with like the cheap $300 knockoff one and the calibration was trash on it. But, um, you know, being able to, you, you, you basically restrict 50% of the blood flow to the limb. So in the case of the elbow, you put it right in the armpit area around the shoulder. And then you're able to exercise with like a really low kind of load, but get kind of the same systemic results. So you're actually able to mimic high intensity training without loading the tissue. So it's a cheat code for rehab, basically. Um, it works well for recovery stuff too, like post throw. But um, yeah, you'd add post throw will have extent tricep extensions with the BFR. We'll do coronation, supination, BFR, scat patterning, scat patterning the yeah. BFR. All for that reason. Yeah, yeah. So, and it, it, the biggest thing is it releases a human growth hormone, which I mean, you don't have to know anything about anything to know that like HGH is a good, can be a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're if you got a cheat code for HGH in the recovery process, it's huge. Um, but yeah, so week twelve, eccentric chin ups. Uh, week fourteen, I like to go to like single, single arm, single leg, like single leg RDLs, like single leg grip patterns, things like that. Um, really building up for that week sixteen, seventeen deadlift like to me the deadlift is like let's get there so to me i i like to you can grip stuff earlier right? you're yeah. doing this stuff so he, he's talking about so like all right we're gonna get after the deadlift now right before it's like hey 135 maybe 185 we'll deadlift and after that it's like just carrying variations right so okay. now it's like hey let's hit two and a half times your body weight right let's get there just build up to that point. Not obviously day one. We're not going yeah. two and a half times your body weight, but sixteenth week, three fifty. That's yeah. the goal. Yeah. We're back, yeah. baby. <laughs> two, two and a half times your body weight is my benchmark to be able to throw a baseball game. Okay. Well, right. think about it too. Like we're we're gearing up for week twenty to twenty four to throw. Yeah. yeah. So if I start deadlifting, it's our six weeks. Yeah. So if I start deadlifting light to moderate weight around week, you know, 10, week, but uh, twelve for like the light stuff, but then like fourteen for like, hey, I'm actually doing it again. I just, like DJ said, I've got four to six weeks to build my strength up. And then, oh, hey, what's up, two-handed plyos? Now we're there. Now we do the two-handed plyos. Then we go through the one-handed plyos. 
plyo balls in general. I mean, I think that we get kind of in this whole like two-handed plyo phase and it's like, all right, well, like, you know, what about the decel catches? What about rebounders? Things like that. We can implement some of those. And banded, like plyo push-ups, banded assist of plyo push-ups, yeah. like absorbs and stuff. Like, yeah, it things. doesn't have to be, I swear to God, if you're doing the sit in front of a trampoline and throw, you know, freaking dodgeball at the tramp and catching it, like that is not one-handed plyos. That is one variation of plyometric, you know, training. But like that's the stock go-to PT drill, right? There's so many better things out there. Um, that being said, that one's fine, but you better be doing the other things too. So, um, and we then have a rebounder here. Yeah, we don't like. I we just let a, you guys know that. Yeah, um, we don't even. I don't even use the rebounder. We literally we. Nor use, in Colorado, we use people and we use you know a plyo wall and, and things like that. So, um, if you rig a if you rig a plyo tramp just right, you can sure get that out of it. But we just have never needed one, right? So. Um, fun fact, an Air X pad bounces balls back pretty quick. Um, so yeah, then like I said, week 20 to, to 24, you're kind of starting your throwing and, and that's where, you know, you're really kind of, you better have checked those boxes. If you haven't checked those boxes, I don't care what week it is, you're, you know, you're not throwing. We're talk about, so, um, like week 20 to 24, what movement quality we're looking at now. Like we talked about, um, active straight leg raise, we talked mm -hmm. about that stuff. What, what things are we looking at clearing them to throw? um in week 24 uh clean toe touch pattern is my favorite like i i think it's embarrassing if you can't touch your toes if, if you can't then figure out why i mean obviously there's going to be some guys that just structurally can't do it but i think the toe touch pattern is a big one for you the lunge with extension pattern is a great one for you um we did a post on that a, a while back i mean that's just indicative of what the pelvis is doing what the thorax is doing what the shoulder is doing there's so much to that one um i also think too like um, running guys through the dynamometer testing, right? Hundred um, percent. You know, if we we do dynamometer testing throughout our, our TJ rehab, um, you know, if you're if you're not checking the boxes on like IR versus ER ratios, and um, you know, honestly, like if I test your left cuff and it's stronger than your right cuff, but you want to start throwing right now, like we got an issue here. Yeah. Um, and that that's that's on us if it's not there, right? Like yeah. if, if we didn't program that. twenty four and it's not balanced out. Yeah, that's on us. Um, that being said, it doesn't ever happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think like being able to test that stuff is good. Uh, hip extension, right? Um, laying guys just into a like a Thomas test, and if their hip flexor is you know so damn tight that they can't get their you know drive leg to the to the floor. Or to the table, sorry. Like that's an issue. That's, but but again, yeah. we're cleaning that up from like week exactly. two on. Like that's the whole point of this podcast is being able to touch on those before you're getting to week twenty four or twenty, whatever. And a lot of those things you see too, like trying to retest, but like that hip extension, right? If you don't have hip extension, you're gonna get it from other places. What's what's the last thing that touches the ball is your hand, right? And elbow, wrist, elbow, and wrist and elbow, right? Finger. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of like four to five month out TJs that we've worked with that are just all right, cool. Like we got, you're behind, you're two weeks, you're two months behind. We're starting over, you know, we're going to have to redo this and it, we'll catch you back up at some point during your throwing progressions. But, um, you know, you better have that foundation first. So, um, but yeah, I think that, that takes you all the way to through the throwing. I mean, we don't need to touch that. That's that's Andrew. That's Andrew's problem. Um, I will say, though, like something we talked about the other day was, you know, the whole like insurance thing. Right. Like that's something that just downright boils my blood. Um, you know, so like insurance nowadays is just basically on this vengeance to not cover sports injuries. I mean, 
the second you get flagged as a sports injury, you're automatically in a bucket with your insurance company. Um, we've had up in Colorado, we've had uh, patients get discharged by their insurance company because they have full LO extension. Literally, like week, they're like, oh, week, uh, week 12, this kid's already been in 24 times. He only gets 20 on his policy and he's got full elbow extension. He's fine. And you're like, but wait, this is a 14 month recovery. And like, yeah, we don't care. He's got full elbow extension. Like, literally all they care about. And I think that gets lost a lot in, in our world is, you know, hey, do you take, you know, do you take my insurance? It's like, hey, does your insurance, how about this? Does your insurance give a shit if you ever throw a baseball again? Like, that's really what you need to ask yourself. Um, you know, and something we talked about was like, how, like, let's go back to the throwing coaches and the, and the hitting coaches and the showcases and like how much money is, is pumped into that. Hey, guess what? You're not doing that stuff for a while now. Like let's reallocate those funds into a good strength program, into a good PT program. Um, you know, even like pushing it further down the line into like working with the throwing coach that, you know, needs to be working as a team with your PT, with your strength. Um, you know, that's probably like, well, the number one barrier I see is like the insurance thing, right? You have to go into a surgery knowing that your insurance company doesn't work for you. They don't care. Like you pay a monthly premium to say you have uh, insurance, basically. Um, even like the best plans in the world are capping out at 20 visits a year now. So if you walk through like a, a normal TJ protocol, you're blowing through those 20 visits by week 10. And where are you at? Still haven't done anything baseball related. So just something to keep in mind, like when you're going into that mindset of, all right, this is going to be a journey. It's, you know, you gotta, you gotta spread your funds out wisely. It's also and, a business. <laughs> yeah, it's also a business too, but like, um, you know, the end goal is getting you onto the bigger and better things and doing it the right way. So, um, yeah, that's my rant. Anything else, uh, Dalton? Really important. Dalton, any I'm more questions? No, I'm good. Thank you for uh, letting me sit in. I appreciate it. Cool. Absolutely. All right, we'll Thanks do a, we'll, we'll we'll do a follow up in three to four weeks on this one. <laughs> so. Yeah, maybe we'll do that next time. So. All right, y'all. Thanks.